We're going to be in Mark chapter 7 today, and we're going to talk about how to crash a Pharisee party. How to crash a Pharisee party. Um, legalism. Legalism. Pharisees are known for their legalism, and legalism is something that we need to talk about because it happens all the time. In fact, you're legalistic, and you're le- I'm legalistic. At, uh, we... we we get tripped up, we get, we get confused on what legalism is. So first, we're going to define legalism. Legalism is using the law as a way to relate to God. Using the law as a way to relate to God. Like, for example, God, I'm going to pray to you with confidence because I was a good boy today. See, I used my performance to the, according to the law to, to, to define my relationship with God. And, and that's, not, that's what legalism is, and we'll get into why it's wrong in a little bit. I, I googled legalism, and it's worth a Google if you have a chance. And this is what Google just popped right up in there. It says, it's a dependence on a moral law rather than a personal religious faith. And I was like... Well done, Google. Like, hipster, high five for you. Um, and it, so, and then it says, for example, quoting, "Stress obedience apart from faith, and you produce legalism." I was like, man, somebody is hacking Google with truth. Yeah, I was going to come up with some weird joke, but I'm not going to. Okay. So I'm going to give four examples of what is legalism and what is not legalism so that we can kind of really get our minds around this today. Legalism is not, these are God's laws and they should be obeyed. That's not legalism. That is actually good, healthy life, okay? It's when we lift up high the law and agree that it is perfect and it should be obeyed. It demands a very high demand. That is very good. Okay? What, it is, what legalism is, is saying, do your best to keep God's laws, and that will be good enough. Do you see the difference? One of them lifts high God's law and says, it is wonderful and it should be obeyed. The other one says, so do your best to try to keep all the law. And God will be happy with that. That is bad. That is bad. It's bad theology because your best is not only not good enough for God, it's offensive to God. Your best is offensive to God. Whoa, we're bringing in a hammer today. God never said, do your best and you get to go to heaven. Did he? No? What is the gospel? You are terrible at doing anything good. And so I will die on the cross for your sins and I will create my life in you and you will be able to keep the law that is impossible for a human being to keep by their flesh. Okay? So, again, example number three. So our first one is, these are God's laws, they should be obeyed. That's not legalism. Okay? Um, Do your best to keep God's laws and they'll be good enough. That is legalism. That is legalism. God's not looking for your best. Number three, legalism is not God's standard is very high and perfect. That's not legalism. That is good. That is healthy. It's, we should love God's law and because it reflects God's character and the, the very character of Jesus. When you're, when you're talking about the law, there's nothing, it's nothing but good can anyone say it's wrong to not lie? No. Or any, any of the Ten Commandments or law you want to talk about, it is good to lift them high and talk about how wonderful they are. But legalism is, number four, you keep more of the law than someone else and you're better than them. If you keep more of the law than someone else, that makes you better than they are. Or God likes you better. Or God's going to somehow reward you more.
for keeping his law better. This is bad. This is very bad. The law doesn't call one person a better sinner than another person. It calls you and me and everybody a sinner. See, everyone, all people are condemned as lawbreakers from just breaking one law. You get to be a lawbreaker. It doesn't matter if I broke 10 laws and you broke one law, we are both equally lawbreakers. Because the law shows no favoritism. If you break one, you're just as much of a lawbreaker as, as someone who's broken all of them. So legalism, again, is using the law as a way to relate to God. Now, this is how we grow up our whole lives, is using the law to judge ourselves and to judge how good of a person you are. It starts from when you're a wee little baby and your, your parents tell you, do good and you will be a good person. Keep these rules and it will mean success for you or you will be a good person. That's what I'm looking for out of you. That's what God's looking for. Keep these rules. And all of you just this, this wave of horror and terror just went across. I've created a legalistic <laughs> child. I know that's what everyone just thought. And it's kind of true. We have all done our part in creating little legalistic children. How does the gospel change this? We still have rules, but our value is not determined by whether we keep those rules or not. That's the difference. We are loved. We are forgiven. We are cherished by God, even though we have not kept his rules. That is the gospel of grace. Amen? Amen. Praising the Lord. The law is actually a terrible way to have a relationship with God because it's impossible. Why would you want to try to break through a brick wall by banging your forehead against it? That's a, that's a dumb idea. <laughs> but that's what we try to do when we try to please God by measuring up to the law. The law doesn't help you, period. And the law doesn't help you measure up. It only shows you how far you, how far you fall short of his standard. That is the ability of the law. That's what it's there for. It never tells anybody, good job, you did such a great job. It's never uttered, the, well, it did utter those words once, only when Jesus was alive. He said, you know, God said, you have kept the law, and you I am well pleased. Right? Jesus kept the law. But other than him, the law has never said, good job. The law says, you stink at trying to do me. You stink at trying to be right. You are not good enough. Because the law doesn't help you at all. The law doesn't change your heart. It doesn't change the inside. Legalism is the core belief that I will be accepted if I do the right things. And guess what? You wake up with that attitude almost every day. I wake up with that attitude nearly every day, and after lunch it comes back. If I am not saturated in the good news of the gospel of Jesus, my natural tendency, just like you, is to go back to this way of living that I'm going to do my best to make God happy, to please him, to do his will. I'm going to give my effort to do that. And then God will accept me. The gospel of grace is the opposite core belief, which is I am already accepted by Jesus and he makes me want to do the right things and gives me the strength to actually do the right things. There's a vast ocean between these two ideas. One says, I need to do these things to be accepted, and the other says, I'm accepted, so my whole life will be a fruit of that acceptance, that love that he has showed me. We need, what we need is the helping hand of grace 
that will lift us up when we cannot lift ourselves. Law has no helping hands. Only commands. It's only shouting what we need to do where his grace actually lifts us up. It transforms us. It forgives us. It creates a life where we can know God and walk with him daily. It creates an environment where we can really be God's children and not be worried all the time and not be stressed about it, but simply enjoy what he has done. Legalism does not produce that. It actually cuts off that life from us. And we set all this up today so that we can see what Mark is trying to teach us when when we're going to go through our text today. Jesus came to change the way that people relate to God or how people have a relationship with God. Before Jesus came, the, the main way that people knew God was they tried to keep all his commands and say, God, are you happy yet? Are you happy now? And I think that that has actually crept its way into the church today. That there are many, many people who wake up every morning and they think, what do I need to do to progress with God, to go further with God? When the real way that we should live is, what has already been done for me? What has Jesus done for me? And how does that affect the way that I see myself and connect with him today? Jesus came to change that. So before Jesus, it was law. That's how people related to God. After Jesus, it's grace. Two different ways. Before Jesus, it was trying, self-effort, self-sourced life, obedience, pride. After Jesus, it's faith, humility, and spirit-sourced life and works. So we're going to do good things, but it's, it's not us that's producing it. It's the Spirit. So we see there's basically two ways to relate to God. You can, two ways to be religious, okay? And they can be summed up in one word, do or done. If your religion is do, you're living Old Testament law-based religion. If your religion is done, what Christ has done for me, you have been set free. You are living the, the life God has for you. It is given freely to you. And you have all things that you need. Legalism, a legalist from the heart, he thinks about what I need to do. And this creates a life that is self-sufficient and also self-condemning. All, all that matters is me. Am I going to figure out what's the right thing to do? Am I going to put the right effort in to do the right things? And so I'm going, to, I'm going to look to myself when I need to do it, and then I'm going to condemn myself when I fail. A Christian, from the heart, rests in what Jesus has done. It's a humble sinner who trusts in Jesus. That's what I am, Sometimes. Sometimes my identity is more of a legalist. But I need to learn. I must repent and learn to walk in the gospel every day as opposed to in myself. I don't know if you are a legalist today or a Christ follower, but God knows because he sees the heart. So don't think that you're tricking everybody. You might be tricking all of me. You might be tricking everybody in this room But God is not fooled. He knows how you relate to him or if you do or don't relate to him. So let's get into our text. With that being our introduction, you're like, I thought we were done. But let's just get through our text real quick and see what happens. Uh, Mark 7, 1 through 23. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition, you can highlight that word, of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash And there are many other things which they received and hold, like the washing of cups and pitchers, copper vessels, and 
couches. They liked washing their couches. <clears throat> I hate when my couches have dog hair on them. All the time, too. So the Pharisees and the scribes represent the people who were supposed to be good, and they were supposed to have a, a good relationship with God. That's who they were supposed They were like the pastors and the leaders of this people who were supposed to know God. They, they supposedly knew how to make God happy or, 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 and to be, live holy lives. So that's who these people were supposed to be. And they believed it was their job to tell everybody else how to know God and how to make God happy. And it kind of was their job, okay? Is it wrong to know God and to make him happy? No, that's kind of the point of life, right? So what's wrong with these guys? What's the problem? Well, they only know how to look at the outside of a person and not the inside. They don't care really about the inside because they have no idea how to fix the inside anyway. They're, they're falling way short. They don't really know God's way. When I say God's way, I'm gonna, I want you to think faith. They don't know that. And what's the opposite of faith? Works. Law-keeping. That's the only other way of religion that they know. So they don't know this way of faith. It hasn't really kind of been revealed to them yet, so they've made their own way the way that they understand, which is we're going to do our best, put in our best efforts to try to make God happy ourselves. And their own way was this washing hands. And, and their, their way said that washing hands is the most important thing to do in life. That was their big thing. That's weird. We think about that and we are like, that's strange, right? But for them, it represented a clean hands, were, represents clean lives. And God doesn't look on anything that's dirty. He's not dirty. So we have to be clean before him. So having clean hands represents being clean before God. But were these guys clean before God? No. They were not. God had a way of, to be clean. He had a clean standard, and that standard was the Ten Commandments. You remember that? But these guys were lame at keeping the Ten Commandments. They couldn't do it. So they added traditions on top of the Ten Commandments and said, well, if you at least keep these traditions, then God will accept you. They added, and, they, and so what they were really doing was they were ignoring his law because his law is too hard. And, and they got confused because they tried to justify themselves so many times and say, oh, you're not really murdering, you're not really lying, you're not really committing adultery, you're not really, if you, if you do this and do this, you can, you can work around it. And everybody was super confused. So, so they just said, you know what, just wash your hands and you'll be fine. Obviously, this is very silly. But this is what happens when you become legalistic, is you come up with one rule that is more important than everything else. Like, hey, if you stop drinking, that's it. You have become the greatest Christian. You're qualified to serve. You're qualified to, to preach. You're qualified to do anything as long as you just don't drink. Now, that's, that has then become a legalistic law where you now judge one person's spirituality is better than another because this person says, no, I'll have a drink or two. Other side. And this person says, I don't have a drink. And so immediately you've created two classes of Christians, ones that are good and ones that are bad based on an action, a work. Obviously, this is not God's way. Let's look at our text again. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? So they accused this renegade Jesus of not following their traditions, and this was just unacceptable to them. They could not believe it. No one dared to question the authority of these spiritual leaders for like hundreds of years. And so 
Again, they made their reputation that they knew God and, and they knew how to make God happy and it was washing hands. That's what makes God happy. Or you could replace that washing hands with whatever you want. As long as it's something you can do, it's still legalism. Can anything you do please God without faith? No. It is faith that pleases God. Hebrews says it is impossible to please God without faith. There's one thing God is looking for, and it is not you trying harder or giving your best efforts. It is Jesus becoming alive in you and pouring his life into you. That is what it means to be a Christian. This was huge to them. They considered washing hands to be way more important than any of the Ten Commandments. In fact, they considered any bread eaten with unwashed hands to be worse than eating dung. That's what they said you were doing. If you, that, and so what, are, what do we see in that? They are, they are mocking people who won't keep their traditions. They're condemning them, saying, Psh, those people and their... They just allow anything in their church. They're, they just let sin run rampant. Why? Because they don't wash their hands like we do. They don't keep the rule that we've decided is more important than God's law. So they made fun of those who, and looked down upon anyone who wouldn't do this washing. And even though God never commanded anyone to do it except the priests one time in their life, were to wash their hands when they went into the... And it was symbolic of a clean life and a clean heart. But it was, foresh- it was supposed to foreshadow what Jesus was going to do in your life, not become a work that you need to do. Okay, so you know how we can become legalistic today? Right there. We got communion right there. Once it ceases to be looking back to what Jesus did and putting our hope in Jesus, and it becomes the thing that we do to show that we're Christians or to make God happy or to earn his blessings, we have poisoned it. Make sense? Okay. Then he answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. So he calls them hypocrites, which is, is, can be defined or from the Greek as those who wear a mask. Okay? So they say they're God's people, but in their heart, they actually reject God. In their heart, they choose self and not God. That's what, that's what a hypocrite does. But God, he sees the heart. That's what Jesus' point is. God isn't tricked or deceived by outward things. Uh, that would, uh, he doesn't merely accept outward obedience. So let's say that you did keep the law 100% of the time on the outside. You were a good person, but on the inside, in the heart, you weren't. It's still not accepted because God sees the heart, not just the outward signs of obedience. And this is why it is senseless to judge whether someone's making progress in their spiritual life based on how well they're doing at keeping the law. It does not work that way. It's about the heart. And the heart produces fruit. And that fruit in a Christian is either humility or pride. Pride will be the fruit of a self-centered heart, whereas humility is the fruit of a gospel-driven heart, a gospel life heart. If God only measured our outward obedience, that would make him a superficial or shallow God. And is our God a shallow God? No, he's holy, he's glorious, which means he can see the deep parts of our heart. The the reality of these supposed religious leaders is that they didn't have a heart for God. They only wanted to impress 
him, God, and, and men with their outward actions, but God sees through it and he calls them out on it. He says, they worship me in vain. They're wasting their time with religion. They're not really worshiping God. They're, 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 they're really worshiping man. That's what legalism is. It's the worship of man, man's ability, man's plans, man's intellect, man's efforts. Legalism worships man. And men that's worshiping men have no need for God. That's what sets apart a Christ follower from a fake hypocrite. A Christ follower is convinced that they need Jesus every moment. And a, and a hypocrite legalist says, as long as I do these things, I'm okay. Do you see how our default position every morning is to wake up as a legalist? And we have to, by spending time with the Word and connecting with Jesus, we have to remember the gospel. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves and say, oh yeah, it's all done. I'm going to read and I'm going to be reminded it's all done. Jesus, I love you. Make a difference, right? It's awesome. They were worshiping God in vain. They were worshiping man, saying we don't need God's plans or God's gospel because we have our own rules that show how holy we are and how hard we try so God needs to accept us based on our efforts. That's what they were proclaiming. These guys think they are better than everyone else because they're keeping the rules and making God happy, but only because they made up the rules that they're keeping, that they like keeping. They thought it was easy to wash their hands. If they really looked at God's rules, they would be guilty and humble like everyone else, but their pride won't let that happen. They get stuck, and I've seen it over and over and over in our world, in our churches. People get stuck on one specific rule, and they get convinced that, with, because of pride, they get convinced that anyone who's not doing this one thing cannot be used by God or be, be in God's good graces. They get convinced of it. And whether it's they vote the right way or they do this or do the other, and you, again, you've got to fill in the blank. If it's ever a do, that's legalism. Okay, tweet of the week. We need a little jingle for tweet of the week. This is my, yeah. <laughs> that was good. Uh, so this one's from Tulian Chavijan. And it says, what makes God's grace offensive to the self-righteous is not it le who it leaves out, but who it lets in. Ragamuffins, misfits, and failures. The idea that God loves bad and weak people because bad and weak people are, are, are all that there are is too much for those who think they're better. Ooh, get you right here. <laughs> So Jesus is now going to prove his point uh, with an example. So he said to them, All too well you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you may have received from me is Corbin, that is a gift to God, then you, no then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many other such things you do. So here, Jesus just takes top of his head example of how they're hypocrites, and he says, you guys um, are faking it with God. So he picks the fifth commandment, you shall honor your father and mother, and they didn't like that commandment, because they didn't want the people to help their father and mother, they wanted them to give their money to me. The Pharisees wanted their money. So they said, well, well that money that you, first, before you help them, you're supposed to dedicate that money to God, which happens to be me. So give your money to me. 
That's what was going on. They made a way around keeping this, and, and they wanted it to sound good on the outside, but God knew the heart. Jesus is exposing the real crud that's in their hearts, but he's not doing it to condemn them, but to rescue them from this sense of false security of trusting in self that will only land them in hell. And we find out later that many of the scribes and and Pharisees actually believe and turn to Christ after he dies and and is resurrected. But at this point, he's exposing it. And why does God expose us? When we lie and we get found out, or when we sin and it all comes crashing down, is it because God was angry at you and throwing lightning bolts at you? No, it's because he lovingly is exposing that you were trusting in self. Every time you've ever sinned, it's because you were not trusting in the Lord, but trusting in yourself. Every time. And so the Lord lovingly will expose this that we don't like people to see. He will expose it because he loves us. If you want uh, to dedicate something to God, great, God, Jesus would say. But they didn't care about God. They didn't care about his commands. They just wanted to find a way around it. They want the credit for being good without the sacrifice. Do you get that? They want the credit for being good without the sacrifice. And that doesn't fly with God. With God. It's funny because the opposite is in Christ we get the credit for being good without our sacrifice because of his sacrifice. And we get a new heart that causes us to delight in loving others and keep God's commands from the heart, not because you earned it, but because of his sacrifice, his love, his free gift. So Jesus is now going to explain to us the heart. He explains his heart through this whole thing. Um, when he had called all the multitude to himself, he said, hear me, everyone, and understand. So he's explaining his heart here. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable, And he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him? But it does not, because it does not enter into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. So Jesus here explains that God sees the source of all sin, and it's always in the heart. This is probably the most radical thing in the New Testament in the New Testament written at this time. People weren't surprised by a lot of other things, but this would have been very 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 crazy to the people who heard it at that time because people just didn't believe in this back then. That that the heart produced sin. Everyone thought that God was more concerned, most concerned about outward things. Things like food and circumcision and skin color, and hair, like Samson, and washing. They really thought God was concerned about all these things. And Jesus is turning this whole spiritual understanding of the world inside out. You'll see what I did there in a second. He's saying that the heart is the source of sin. He highlights the, the foolishness of telling people to clean up their act. Clean up their act. Jesus says, you can't clean up your act. You need to clean up your heart. But you can't. You need God's help, which is called grace. You need God's grace to clean your heart. So Jesus is now going to prove that we are all evil before God. We all need our hearts transformed. He is not interested in you trying to transform your works, your outward actions. He says, transform your heart and everything will be okay. Martin Luther said one of the craziest 
Um, I've been reading this book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, sorry, called um, The Cost of Discipleship. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor, and he was in with the Nazis, and then he fled the Nazis, and he was like, oh, God, I shouldn't have fled. And he went back to go preach to the Nazis, and so they threw him in jail. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, talking about Martin Luther, that Martin Luther said, God is not interested with your works. He's interested in you believing the gospel. Okay? Now that is true if it's the, if it's the sum of the equation. Okay? So if you are, are, are believe the gospel, what it says is that you will know what Jesus did for you. Your heart will be cleansed. And so then you can do whatever you want, and what you want will be to honor God and to love him and obey him. But if you're sneaky and you don't want to believe the gospel, you can turn that around and you can say, well, I'm doing what Martin Luther said. He said, I can do whatever I want. So they start doing whatever they want without believing the gospel and letting that be their whole lives first. That's the problem. See, some people talk about licentiousness, which means some people teach that you have a license to just sin as much as you want. And that is very evil, very bad. Nobody teaches that. Nobody should teach that. It's not right because God's law is good and holy and it should be kept. But the way to become a person that keeps God's law, God's law, that is the most important part. And that's what Jesus is going to get into here. And that's what we talk about all the time. You can't become this good person that keeps God's law by trying harder. You can only do it by believing the gospel and the gospel transforms you and gives you a gift, a free gift called grace and righteousness. And he will transform what you are in the heart. And then you really do have the freedom to do whatever you want because your desires have been so transformed by the gospel. Make sense? All right. So Jesus proves that we're all evil right here. These, these things that he's going to talk about, they flow naturally from a sinful heart. We are given this list because God loves us and he doesn't want us to be confused on how much we need him. There's two ways that we can look at this list, and this list is going to be a test for you. Because if you start reading this list of all these bad things, and you think, I don't do that. I don't do that. Well, I'm better than Hitler there. I'm better than, you know, this guy, that guy. I'm better than them. I'm better than them. You have just proven the Word of God has just tested you and revealed you are a self-sufficient, prideful legalist. But if you read this list with a heart that says, guilty, I've done that, I'm that, I've done that, I've certainly done that, and I've probably done that without knowing about it. There is the humility of a Christ follower. Someone who says, I know that I need God. The Holy Spirit is revealing to us how much we need God through lists like this. You know, the legalistic person is going to try to make excuses for each and every one of these things. Well, I may have maybe done that, but I had an excuse. They were really ugly, or whatever our excuse is. A Christ follower humbly sees their failure, and we will be motivated to call out to Jesus for grace, to forgive us and to transform us. That's what should happen with lists like what we're going to read. So what Jesus says here, he says, for from within, out of the heart of men, produce, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. And all these things come from within and defile a man. So I'm just going to quickly go through each one of those and put it in are terms that we can understand. Evil thoughts. Um, this means our hearts are just messed up with evil. They're, they, they're producing these thoughts that are from Satan and not from God. Adulteries. 
These are anything against God's will and plan for your marriage. Okay? We're all guilty of that. Fornication, anything against God's will and plan for your life when it comes to sexual purity. Murder, not only just killing people, but, you know, abortion and hatred. Just hating people, Jesus said, was murder. Thefts is obviously stealing. Coveting is wanting to steal or greed. Um, Wickedness means being deliberately evil. Deceit is lies, obviously. Lewd means no moral restraint. Just get going crazy, right, at a party or something. Um, An evil eye is jealousy, being jealous of other people. Blasphemy is speaking evil of men or God, saying anything bad about anybody. That is not Christ-like. Pride. There's obviously the source of all this stuff, right? And foolishness means being senseless or insensitive to what's going on around you. So these, this list, as you spend some time praying about it, being con, you know, convicted, that's what God is doing. That's what God is working in us. He give, gave us this as a gift to say, look how much you need me. Every single one of these you're guilty of. And what's amazing about Jesus, I know we've gone a long time and we're almost done. What's amazing is that Jesus not only gives us the diagnosis that you're broken, sinful, and dirty, but he gives us the solution. All right? And we're going to read Ezekiel 36, 26, because it's going to help us see the solution that Jesus gives. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What have we been talking about this whole time? The Pharisees had outward sets of rules because they couldn't change the heart. And Jesus says, I hate your outward sets of rules, but I love you and I will change your heart. So no more outward measures of righteousness with Jesus. No more futile efforts to clean our outside when, uh, without a transformed inside. No more trying to be better. No more. No more living by giving my best. That's not the gospel. No more despair that I can't make my own heart desire and produce right things. No more. Jesus ends all of this failure because Jesus offers a solution of grace. And grace, by definition, is a free gift. Not earned. Free gift. He promised, I love free too. He promises to give freely and be all that I need to transform my heart and my life. He promises to to do this for us, for free. He promises to change my heart as a free gift of grace. So when Jesus is condemning these guys and ripping these guys' arguments to shreds, it's not because he just wants to win an argument and prove that he's better than them, but because he wants them to be in a state where they're saying, well, what do I do? Jesus says, look unto me. Believe and receive what I am going to do on the cross for you. And a lot of them do. They will. It's amazing. And that's what the new covenant of grace is. We come to Jesus in humble faith. Jesus forgives us of our sin, and then he gives us his own spirit, which is perfectly capable of changing us and encouraging a real, genuine relationship with God as a son with a father, not as a slave with a master. 
Jesus transforms that way of living. It's no longer son, or it's no longer slave and master, although we willingly make ourselves his slaves. It, the way he wants us to look at it is son with father. How do I partake in this new covenant of grace? How do I do grace? BK? F and H. Faith and humility. So if God doesn't want me to focus on the rules, like legalism, I can see the rules and I need to lift high the rules. I need to lift high the law and say it's wonderful, perfect, and I can never measure up to this then what am I supposed to do? If I'm not supposed to put my best effort in there, then what am I supposed to do? And the answer is, trust God with faith and humble yourself before him. Come to God and say, I am a sinner. I need you and I trust you. That's all he's asking for. That's literally the whole New Testament that is your requirements. That is, that is what is laid on you with the gospel. What do I need to do? Humility and faith. Well, those are confusing because they're not really do things. Exactly. Because if God gave you a do to do, you would be do do. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> God doesn't give it. Because if you had one thing to do, you would mess it up. Even if it was just wash your hands. How many times have you told your kids to wash your hands? And they're just disgusting. Right? They don't work. If we had anything to do... So, so faith and humility are not works. They're not dues. They are heart realities. In your heart, you can only control those two things. You can't control how wicked it is. You can't control the fruit that's being produced. You can't control your gifts, your spiritual gifts, or what you need to do. All that you can control is, am I going to be humble, acknowledge my need for God, feel my need for God, be broken before him? And am I going to put my trust in him and not myself? Am I going to do those things? Every time you come to church, we're going to talk about the same things, those things, because that's all that the Bible is. You know, we're never going to give you the next thing to do that is going to be the magic thing that changes your life, because you can't do anything like that. And God, he is very honest, and he says, it will never work if it's something you do. But if it's something I have done, it will work. Because Jesus is sufficient and God doesn't mess around and God doesn't do things in vain. He didn't crucify his son in vain. He did it because it's sufficient. It works. Jesus and his Holy Spirit, the promise he made to send his spirit, it will transform even your stinking heart. And I've met people who are in such despair over who they are, the person that they see, the wickedness. And I'm, I'm excited when I meet someone like that because I know they're just a moment from the life-giving spirit of Jesus transforming that. But then I meet a lot of people, a lot more people who say, I'm not that bad. I'm way better than Hitler because he's always the guy that we compare ourselves to, right? And, and that heart that says, I'm okay, is far from God. It doesn't, it, we didn't even look at that list. You didn't look at it honestly, the list that Jesus just gave, if you think you're okay, because you're not. So with all that being said, that's our sermon for today. And we have a great opportunity now to come to Jesus with humility and faith or you can fake it. You get the choice. This is choose your own adventure. Turn to page two and take bread and wine juice and, and trust Jesus in humility. Or turn to page three and walk up and do the exact same thing, but without the faith and humility in your heart. One of them ends in heaven, the other ends in hell. 
One ends in deliverance and the other is more bondage. And guess what? We'll be able to tell in your life this week which one you chose. Because the life of Christ produces righteousness. The life of Christ produces, the spirit of Christ produces holiness. It's kind of his name, the Holy Spirit. So if you're coming up here, the Holy Spirit is your free gift. If you come with humility and say, Jesus, I need you, and Jesus, I trust in you, it is yours. And your life this week will produce righteousness. But if you come up this and, and you fake it, you will find the same old fruits happening in your life over and over. And I'm saying maybe today, maybe, you're thinking, my life has never really produced the fruits that it should. My life has been a constant story of bad fruits. Then there's no other solution. Come to Jesus in humility and faith for real. Be broken before him and say, Jesus, I need you. All right? And have fun watching the Super Bowl. <laughs> let's pray and let's worship for a few more minutes. Draw near to the Lord. Jesus, we want to give you praise and we want to we reach our hands out to you and, and open our hearts to you because we are guilty of so much sin and we have... Uh, we start out with legalism pretty much every day. And Lord, we want to be trained by your grace. We want to learn what it is to, to humbly depend on you. And Jesus, as I see your life, you were always making time to spend time with your Father. You were always re- remembering uh, scriptures and, and, and putting your hope in the promises that you saw, Jesus, in the Old Testament. You lived your life by those words. And I pray, God, that you would help us to have a same heart, that we, uh, we would look into your scriptures, we would hold on to the promises that we see, we put our hope in them, and we would humbly acknowledge that we need you, and we would faithfully wait upon you to deliver us, to do all uh, in us that we could never do for ourselves because we are weak and we are men. So Jesus, I thank you for brothers and sisters who want to learn about you and want to press in and learn about your grace from young to old. And uh, God, we are your people and we are going to now worship you. We're going to remember you through communion and we want to give uh, control of every part of our life, surrender to your um, spirit and not walk according to our own flesh. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's all stand up and sing to the Lord and come take communion when you're ready.